We're in the middle of a, uh, a series entitled How to Deliver a Nation. And I think our nation needs deliverance. There's no doubt in looking at our nation what has taken place in the last several decades. In June, 20, June the 25th, 1962, the Supreme Court said that school prayer was unconstitutional. And they, we, we began as a nation to hear the term that there needed to be a separation between church and state. If you, if you research that, it was actually one of the founding fathers speaking to a Baptist church and, and assuring them that the state wasn't going to in, be involved in their worship. That's where the separation was to be. It wasn't taking out God from our government. It was actually protecting our worship in this country from a government that would establish a state church. That's what it was for. We see in 1973, Roe v. Wade, and we see a dynamic shift in our nation. And since that time, We've murdered 62 million babies in their mother's womb. 62 million. And if you, you've had an abortion or been involved in one, I'm not here to condemn or point fingers at you. But I'm saying that God's Word says that every life is precious. And it's not scriptural. But the church failed to rise up. We see that we live in a time when the spirit of the world has a grip on our nation. And one of the verses that readily comes to mind is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We live in a nation where many people have a spiritual blindness, a veil that's over them. They don't recognize their need for Jesus. And the job of the church in this time is to go to the God of this age. We're going to compare Him to Pharaoh. And say, let my people go. Amen. That needs to be the the message of the church. We need to rise up and say, there is a God who loves you. There's a God who blessed this nation. There's a God who still has his hand on this nation. But the church needs to rise up. Amen. So I want you to join me as we look at Exodus today. And I want you to, to see the encounter of Moses with Pharaoh. Most of us know this story. It's a powerful story, and I want you to compare it. I was praying with the intercessors before church, and one of the intercessors, you know, I said, we're going to be studying the encounter of Moses with Pharaoh today. And she said, that's exactly where we're at. And in a very real way, we are. 
There, there is the spirit of the world that has a hold on our nation that doesn't want our nation to know the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. So join me today and let's, let's look at Moses once again. We're going to look at uh, chapter 5 today. As you're turning there, I want to do just a, a quick reference to what we've studied in the past. Moses wasn't the premier candidate to deliver a nation. He had failed. He was on the backside of the desert. He, he had been at both spectrums. He had had great authority raised in the courts of Pharaoh, had the education, had all the splendor, had all the things. And then they, they cast him out, threatened his life if he stayed. He ended up on the backside of the desert, broken, humiliated. And yet God says, you're my man. And we, we, we take great comfort in that, don't we? Amen? I know I do. When God says, I've called you to do something, you say, oh Lord, but who am I? I can't do this. And God says, it's not about you and what you can do. It's about the fact that I'm with you and I'm going to do it through you. Amen? So that's, that's the picture we have in Moses. In fact, God has called all of us to be a Moses. That's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at how God worked in Moses' life and worked through Moses' life to bring the deliverance of a nation. So to get, to, to, to get that point deep down in your heart today, I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, Hi, I'm Moses. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> we are called to be just like Moses. There's three things we see in Moses' life that are, are very powerful. We see God calling him, giving him assignment. Church, every one of us has an assignment in Christ. Every one of us has something that God wants to do in our lives and reach people around us. Uh, in talking with Dr. Don this week, he said, Pastor Milt, make, make sure that everyone understands what you're talking about when you're talking about their influence. In other words, we think about how can I be used to deliver a nation? Well, it starts with each one of us using the influence around us that God's given us and winning one soul at a time. That's how it starts. Amen? God has had an assignment for Moses. He has an assignment for us. God disclosed Himself to Moses. We talked about it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He, he brought revelation to Moses in a greater way. And God wants to bring revelation to you in a much greater way than you've ever experienced it before. Are you with me? God, God wants to continue to, to help us to have a greater understanding, a greater relationship with Him, to grow and mature in that just like He did with Moses. And the third thing, God showed Moses His power. God doesn't send us to a nation to bring deliverance in our power, in our ability. In fact, the Old Testament says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. It's His power working in us. So let's look at verse 1. Let's dive into this chapter as Moses encounters Pharaoh. In verse 1, 
Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. He's saying, Let my people go so that they can worship God. And that's exactly why the spirit of the world doesn't want to see America changed. The enemy doesn't want to see us as a nation begin to worship the true and the living God and enter into the freedom that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Moses and Aaron are coming off of a great spiritual high. They had just met with the elders. The elders said, yes, we're with you. Yes, go ahead. Tell Pharaoh to let us go. They were, they were encouraged. They were believing and trusting that God was in this, that God was going to move through Moses, and they were going to receive their freedom. But it's, it's interesting that, that uh, they probably thought, well, you know, Moses let my people go, and Pharaoh was just going to respond, sure, okay, go ahead. How many have realized it doesn't happen that way? <laughs> There's a battle. The enemy doesn't want to let go of his grip. The enemy doesn't want you to experience freedom, and he doesn't want you to tell anybody else that there's freedom in Jesus Christ. In fact, Moses in the in the we we see that God told Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. He said, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, a lot of people struggle with that. God just decided to harden his heart. Why, why would God harden Pharaoh's heart when he wants Pharaoh to let the people go? And it's difficult sometimes for us to understand, but what we need to understand in that passage is his heart was already hardened towards God. He was already arrogant towards God. Pharaoh thought he was God. And in Egypt, he was. He was worshipped. He was revered. What he said was the law of the land. He held life and death in his hand. And his heart was already turned towards God. And when your heart is already hardened and already turned against God, there can come a time when God hardens your heart the rest of the way. He just says, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. We see that in, in the New Testament. In Romans, Paul talks about it. In chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in their lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. So when our hearts are hardened and we're rejecting God, we don't want God, we don't want to do what He calls us to do, and we're hardened in our attitude and in our actions, in our will towards God, there comes a time that God determines we're not going to change, and He goes ahead and allows our hearts to be totally hardened. In Romans chapter 9, verse 18, Paul says it this way, Therefore, He, God, has mercy on whom He wills, and whom He wills, He hardens. He hardens. So God had warned Moses that Pharaoh 
wasn't going to give up easy. He wasn't just going to give in. And, and so many times when God gives us a promise and we, we cling to that promise, we believe God's going to move. We believe God's going to meet this need. We believe God for a miracle in our life. Sometimes we're, we're looking at, at the ultimate answer that God has and we forget about there may be a battle between here and there. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. The battle still isn't ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. But we are along for the ride. And Moses was along for the ride. It didn't just happen in an instant. There was going to be a confrontation with Pharaoh. In verse 2, it says, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. That is the exact spirit of the world that we are encountering today. We live in a culture that's saturated with the mindset of the world, the spirit of the world. We encounter our culture. Our culture says, well, you can be religious, just don't push it off on me. And you hear it all the time in this, in this, from the secular people. Why do you think we want anything to do with your religion? Why do we want anything to do with Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? I don't know who Jesus is. It's the same exact spirit that was working in the life of Pharaoh and we see him working in the world today. We've, we encounter that spirit. He doesn't want people to be set free. Freedom doesn't come easy. The enemy's going to do everything he can to keep his hold on every person that he has veiled to the truth. So what's the church to do? What did Moses do? So many times we hear things like, oh, that's just old-fashioned. That was for days gone by. I don't know about you, but I can look back into the 60s and the 50s, seeing the shift in our nation, and I long for those days. I long for the days when we didn't lock our house because we weren't worried about anybody breaking in. I long for the days when we'd drive up in our car and leave the keys in it because nobody was going to run off with it. I look back at the days when you, when you could take a, a, a rifle or shotgun to school and have it in the back of your truck and you didn't worry about it because after school you guys were going to go join you and you were going to go shoot some squirrels or something. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? There's been a dynamic shift in our nation, and, and, it, and it goes back to the church hasn't been rising up and proclaiming, there is freedom in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He will transform your heart. He will transform your life. He will set you free from sin. Your life will never, ever be the same again when you come to know Him. Moses speaks again to Pharaoh. He says in verse 3, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. He, he spoke exactly what God had given him in the, in the first part of that. And then in verse 4, it says, then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. 
And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. Verse 6, so the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make their brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Now the Egyptian taskmasters were Egyptians. They were the superintendents of the work that was taking place. The foremen were actually Hebrew traders that were put over their own people. And we see Pharaoh here telling them it's going to be even tougher. It's going to be harder. I don't want them to go and to serve their God. And it's interesting to me that he, he uh, kind of does a, a, a switch, a sleight of hand. He's saying, the only reason they're saying they want to go serve God is because they don't want to work. And that's such a picture of how the enemy works today. The enemy will, will try to do a sleight of hand. He'll try to take everyone's focus off of the truth and he'll sell them a lie. And note in verse 6 it says all of this happened in the same day. In the same 24-hour period, all this is happening. Verse 9 says, let more, let more work be laid on the, on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. Listen to that. That's the same thing the enemy does today. He'll say, what you're hearing is false words and you need to get your attention back on what I'm saying is the truth. Does that sound familiar? That's how the enemy always works. He will, he will tell you the truth isn't the truth. You're buying into something that's false. He was telling them there isn't a place for you to go serve God. That's not what it's about. It's not about religion. It's not about serving God. It's about you getting out of work. That's what all this is about. And that's exactly how the enemy tries to work today. He tries to deceive us. The enemy doesn't want you, he doesn't want any of us to go and to tell people, there is a God in heaven. He is the creator of all things. He will set your life free. You don't know what life is like until you're free in Jesus. Amen? He'll say, oh, that's just lies. All oh, that's just religion. It's not religion. It's a relationship with your Creator. It's not, it's not false words. But the enemy says, all oh, that's just junk. In fact, I don't know how many times I've heard it. Oh, all that Jesus stuff. It's just so they can control the masses. Or I hear this one. It's just for weak people who need a crutch. To get through life. I don't need a crutch. I need a whole body cast to get through life. Jesus, come and be my body cast. Amen? So the, the enemy is constantly 
trying to, to put out a false narrative so that we don't adhere to what is the truth. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who wants you to be set free, who wants you to come and worship Him. It's, it's simple, but it's the enemy's trying to deceive us of that truth. Look at verse 10 and, and through 13. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. It wasn't simple to begin with. It was a difficult job. They were slaves. They, they, were, they were doing everything they could just to meet the current quota. And now it's increased. Now, now they, they don't have the straw. And they were, it was an impossible task now. There was no way they could physically do it. It was impossible for them to go and, and gather all the straw. And, or, and they couldn't get straw, so they were getting stubble as best they could to make the bricks. How many have ever been in an impossible situation? I want you to know God specializes in impossible situations. Amen. In verse 14, it says, Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and the day as before. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing, dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick, and indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. So they didn't understand. They were confused. Why would, was Pharaoh not giving them the straw? And then why were they being beaten? Because they weren't given the straw and they couldn't do what, what they were supposed to do. They were confused. And we see in this that Pharaoh does not care. The spirit of the world, church, does not care about you. The spirit of the enemy does not care. Jesus said he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his agenda for your life. Pharaoh didn't care if he lost several thousand slaves because of this process. He didn't care. And I want you to know there's an enemy who has a grasp on our nation and he does not care about the people of our nation. And somebody's got to stand up and say, I care. And God's calling us to do that. I care for our nation. I care for the people. So they were bewildered in what was going on. Verse 17 says, But he said, You are idle, idle. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. This is probably the first time that they began to understand what was really taking place here. Church, they were recognizing it's a spiritual battle. Pharaoh just said, it's because we want to go serve God. It's because we want to leave and go and worship Him. 
Church, we've got to realize what's going on isn't just political. It's other things involved in our culture. It's a spiritual war. There's an enemy who wants to destroy our nation. There's an enemy that wants to say, no more, no more. You can't go worship. Stop your worship. There are so many countries today that that have now legislated laws that say that a pastor can't preach against sins. And it's coming to our nation. I believe it's going to happen one of these days if the church doesn't rise up. If we don't have revival in this nation, it's going to happen here. But I'm believing God for revival. Amen. The enemy wants to shut up anything about God. He wants to stop us from worshiping. He doesn't want us to enter into that freedom. And we see that same thing in Pharaoh. Verse 18 says, Therefore, now go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. Church, you can't compromise with the spirit of the world. The church has too long tried to compromise. It doesn't work. When, the, when you try to, to compromise with the spirit of the world in your life, guess what? He'll take hold in your life. He'll hinder you from what God has. It doesn't end up well. <laughs> the, only, the only choice for us as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, is to speak the truth in love, to speak God's Word, and to stand up for what the Word of God says. We're not trying to beat people up. Sometimes people have the wrong idea. They think, oh, I got the word. I got my sword. You need Jesus. You really need Jesus. (laughs) That's not the church. Amen? Amen. The church comes along and says, hey, I want to tell you what what God's done in my life. We come alongside people and then we begin to share, this is the Word of God. This has transformed my life. Look what God's Word says. We begin to speak the truth in love. We don't beat people up with it. But we love people into the kingdom with it. Amen? Amen? We love people into the kingdom with the Word of God. But church, we have to stand and we don't compromise. Compromise didn't work. They couldn't compromise with Pharaoh. And church, we can't compromise with the enemy. We can't say, well, well, we'll try to just compromise in this area. We can't do it. When, When Scripture says it's sin, church, guess what? It's sin. And we want people to be free from it. We don't want them to be condemned. Just like Jesus with the little woman they caught in the act of adultery. And what did, what did Jesus do? He stooped down, wrote in the ground. There's various guesses on what he was writing, but it convicted everyone who had a stone and they all left. 
And Jesus says, go and sin no more. But he said, neither do I condemn you. Amen? So it's not about condemning people. It's, it's bringing the light of Jesus into their lives and saying, go and sin no more. Live the life that God's called you to live. That's the job of the church. In verse 19, it says, And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. How many realize, church, we're in trouble? As a nation, we're in trouble. And we've got to see God move. Verse 20, Then as they came from out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Oh, wow. Put yourself in Moses' place. Church, there's times you will do the right thing, you will speak what God wants you to speak, and things don't look good. You'll even have, have people coming against you. As a pastor, I've experienced that I don't know how many times. I'll pray, I'll fast, I'll seek God, I'll, I'll put together a message, and, and I'll, I'll deliver that message with, with, with all the, the passion that I have in Jesus. And, and, and then after the service, somebody will come up, and somebody will take it wrong. It happens. Moses had to be discouraged. He had to be disillusioned. He, he didn't know what, was, what happened. Why, why didn't things go right and Pharaoh just let us go? But look at verse 22. What do you do when you're judged by someone and they're, they're misjudging you? They don't understand. What did, what did Moses do? He didn't have a direction to go. He says in verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord. Amen. That's, that's the answer, church. When you're confused, when you don't understand what's going on, even when you're trying your best to do what God called you to do, you return to the Lord. You lay it at His feet. You get His counsel and guidance and direction. You return to the one who called you to go in the first place. Amen. And what does He do? The rest of that verse says, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? He's falling back into the same old routine. Lord, you've got the wrong person. You ever feel like that? Lord, you can't use me. Lord, you've got the wrong person. Turn to somebody and tell them, point your little finger right at them and say, you're the right person. God wants to work through your life. He wants to work through you. Moses was returning to his doubt that he had at the, the burning bush. We studied it just a few weeks ago. Oh, oh God, you can't, I, I stutter, I stammer, you, you can't use me. God, God. I'm not the person. I'm, I'm a shepherd on the backside of the desert. I have failed. They're not going to respect anything I say. They don't want to hear it. 
God, you can't use me. And God says, you're the exact person that I want to use because I don't want you to have any of the glory. All the glory is going to be mine. God wants to work through you because the glory isn't going to be yours. It's going to be His. Notice, God didn't tell Moses to back off. Look what he said in in the, the first verse of the sixth chapter of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let you go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of, out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Oh, I love that. I love that. God's telling Moses, I'm just getting started. Don't worry. He's going to let them go. Yes, he's going to keep that strong hand, but that strong hand is going to be turned and he's going to drive the people out. God's saying, I am still the Lord. I'm still in control. I'm still the great I am. I'm still all sufficient, all powerful. I'm everything that you need and more. No matter what you're facing, church, He is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. There is no other God. He is the great I Am. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lily of the Valley. He's the bright and morning star. He is Jesus, the Son of the living God. He's Lord. Amen. The word here in the original language, we translate Yahweh. Most Bible scholars will tell you that they believe it's the personal name for God. It was so precious to the Hebrew people that they removed the vowels from the word. So we do not know exactly how it's pronounced. But most Bible scholars believe that it's Yahweh. And we transliterate that into Jehovah. And and what it means, that name, it means I am the self-existent one. It means that God has always been, He is right now, and will always be God. He doesn't need anything or anyone to exist. He's God and God alone. It also, in that name, it's the covenant name of God. That God says, I'm making a promise with you, a covenant with you, and I am faithful. I will never go back on the promises that I've made with you. Does that bring anybody hope today? He's a covenant God. This word Yahweh or Jehovah also affirms that the God who spoke in the burning bush is the same God who speaks now. The God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still the God of your present and your future. Amen? What reassurance that was for Moses. Because he was facing an impossible task where the people that he came to help were now 
burdened greater because of what he was doing. He was trying to do what God had called him to do faithfully. And yet, it seemed to be backfiring. It didn't seem to be working. It seemed like what he was doing was now hindering and hurting the people that he loved and wanted to see come to know freedom in, in, in God, freedom in the Lord. And so God reaffirms, I am the Lord. Church, we have to rise up. We have to proclaim, Jesus is Lord. I know there are good people that are trying their best Diligently involved in some type of religion, trying to meet that spiritual need. And it will never be met until they encounter their Creator. It will never be satisfied until they're introduced to Jesus. Church, we can't compromise on that. Years ago, I was in Kodiak and I was preaching in a Baptist church. And I said basically that same thing. I said, Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. And I had a gentleman that approached me after the, the service, and he said, well, I just can't believe that God's that way. I can't believe that, that I've got friends that are very sincere, and they're involved in other religions, and they, they're very sincere, and they're you know, doing their best. How's God going to turn them away? And it broke my heart because he was a deacon in the church. And he didn't know the Word of God any better than that. Church, what do we need to do? We've got to rise up. We can't compromise. We've got to recognize there's a spirit that has a stranglehold on our nation. But just like the Lord intervened and brought freedom to the nation of Israel, guess what, church? God can bring freedom to the United States of America. He can move. But His church is going to be us when we say, Hi! Hi! I'm Moses! Glad to meet you! Hi! I'm Moses! Let me tell you about the Lord. Amen? You've got to have a... Have a fire in your bones. You've got to rise up and be bold and say, I, I'm not going to compromise what I know is the truth, what I know God did in my life. It, I may be, you know, mocked. I may be ridiculed. I may have someone even hit me or punch me or spit in my face, but I'm not going to back down from telling the only answer that this nation has, and it's found in the Lord. It's found in Jesus. I want the worship team to come. And I want you to stand with me if you will. The Lord's really stirred my heart with this truth in the last, oh, the last month or so. In fact, I was even speaking to another church just recently through Zoom speaking to about a hundred leaders in that church. And I was going through John chapter 10, talking about shepherds. 
And I pointed out in that chapter that Jesus was talking about being the true shepherd. And I, and I began to tell them, church, you've got to stand on the truth. You've got to share the truth. You've got to live the truth. Because the spirit of the world is trying to do a sleight of hand. He's trying to get us off of the truth. He's trying to blind people. In church, we can see God move, but it's, it's going to be up to us and saying, Lord, make me a Moses. Lord, I want to be a Moses. I want you to work through my life. And that's my prayer. I've been praying all week. Lord, make us a church of Moses. Amen. I'm going to have the, the prayer team come. I'm going to have them come across the back and across the the front and we're going to close the service today with a time of prayer you may be facing an impossible situation you may feel just like Moses did that Lord how could you ever use me or maybe you're here today and you You've never made a commitment to Christ. So there's things in your life that are still holding you back. You're still a slave to that sin, to that spirit of the world. And I want to invite you to come and to find one of these prayer partners and to pray a simple prayer with them to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior to see your life transformed. Because all of us here today, we've been there. Amen? We've been there in the bondage of the enemy, the spirit of the world, in the bondage there. We've, we've had that veil blinding our eyes to the truth that we need Christ. And it's my prayer that that veil would just be lifted. I pray that every person that walks into our church or walks onto this property even, that the Lord would just lift that veil, that they would see their need for Christ. I pray that for our valley. I pray that for our state. I pray that for our nation. You say, well, pastor, it just seems like things have, have gotten too far gone. Too far. It's just gone way too far. That's what Moses felt like when he came back to the Lord. And the Lord told him, I am the Lord. In the book of Acts, we see an entire city and an entire area. And the Bible says that every person believed on Jesus Christ. We look in the book of Jonah and we see the city of Nineveh. A city of over 120,000 people. And in that passage, it says that every one of them believed. From the greatest to the least is the phrase that it uses. From the king down to the lowliest person in Nineveh, they put on sackcloth and ashes and repented, and they believed the Word. They believed God. If God can do it in Nineveh, if He can do it in the plain of Sharon, 
in the, in the community of Lydda in the New Testament, guess what? God can do it today. He is still the Lord. He's still the Lord. But don't be like Jonah. Don't run from the call that God has on you. You say, well, pastor, I don't know a lot of people. I don't have a lot of influence. Yes, you do. Just touch the lives that are around you. Your friends, your family, your co-workers. Because you know the Lord. You know the freedom. And they need to know that freedom too. Father, we just thank You. We thank You for Your Word today. Lord, I thank You for the challenge of Your Word today. And Lord, I pray that if we're facing an impossible situation, Lord, that we would just turn to You just like Moses. Lord, that You would just speak to our hearts and lives. You are the Lord. That would resound in every heart and in every life. No matter what miracle we need, no matter how desperate the situation, Lord, we thank You that You are in control. Lord, whatever the need is today, as we begin to sing a chorus and worship You, I pray for miracles in this house today. I pray that You just challenge our hearts. Lord, that we would respond to you today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Mitch, would you lead us? Thank you, Jesus.